Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, David, we'd really love to welcome you along here today. Thanks for making yourself available. Thank you. Welcome. Ed. Happy to be here. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I might just share a couple of things for, for those who are watching and listening um, about you, if that's all right. Um, bit of a bio, and then correct me where I'm, where I'm wrong and jump in and fill in the planks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we know, David is a licensed mental health counsellor and an educator, a trainer for other health providers and professionals. And David has an amazing body of work available. If you have a look at his website, um, which is lifeweavings.org, please have a look at uh, David's bio there. I just want to share a couple of things that, that David uh, wrote, and then um, I think this is really sets the scene. Growing up, questions played a big role for David, and he wanted to know how things work, why people did what they did. So, of course, psychology is what he ended up studying. And it wasn't um, for, for two decades, I believe, David, you were... Religious fundamentalism was kind of the mm -hmm. definition of your life. Would that be right? That would be very accurate. Yeah. So that really helps us, or um, well, creates an environment where we look at things through a very narrow lens. So I really admire the fact that you were able to break out of that and then use your experience to, as a springboard, to help other people. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what brings you to this situation today to help others? Sure. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, in the first couple of decades, I'm a Bible college graduate. Uh, so I was originally going to be a minister and, you know, building, building the kingdom and, uh, about halfway through, I just finally had one too many questions without sufficient answers and had to leave it all behind. Um, but at the time, you know, there was some transfer stuff, but there was also just a, an issue around, I didn't want to leave the program I was a part of, um, Frankly, at the time, probably a little less um, because um, I didn't want to uh, ever encounter the issue of like, well, if you'd stayed in, your answer, your questions would have been answered. Uh, so instead, I completed the program, ended up kind of almost double majoring in theology and psychology and uh, came out the other end of it with even more questions, um, while at the same time with a greater appreciation for uh, just the power of religion, the power of faith, uh, why it, you know, why it works and why it's so enticing. Uh, even now, uh, as, you know, a non-believer, um, I often don't use the term atheist, whatever. Um, but, you know, even as a, you know, a non-supernaturalist believer, um, you know, I still appreciate why uh, there are still moments in which is like, oh, <laughs> that would be really nice uh, to go back to. Um, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I went on, I've got a master's in forensic psychology and another master's in counseling psychology, and I am currently working on my uh, doctorate in clinical psych. Uh, so I hope to have that finished here within the next two years. So uh, that kind of really kind of goes in, you touched a little bit on uh, fundamentalism, kind of it's going to lead us into what we're really going to talk about, abuse within religious fundamentalism. So David, where would we kind of start? Like, what would what kind of understanding would we need to have to really begin this conversation? No, absolutely. Um, so 
this is not going to be a kind of litany of the abuses of various religious uh, institutions. Um, not that that wouldn't be uh, interesting, um, but it would be hella depressing. And, and there's plenty of information out there for that. Um, what I'm concerned with here is looking at uh, why people get drawn into a, you know, a structure that fundamentally undermines uh, their sense of self-efficacy and ability to question. And then why then, what are the processes that occur and that one, often keep you trapped and then two, um, stick with you later on? I mean, it's one of the, the third question uh, in the poll about how often do you still feel yourself uh, judged by the previous ethical standard that you know mm. is you know, like bullshit. Like, yeah. like, no, I don't agree with this. And you're still finding yourself, you know, to varying degrees of shaming to staying up awake at night, uh, pondering, oh my God, I might be going to hell. Um, uh, it's been a while since I've personally had that, but it still happens. And it's more than 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's so um, insidious. Yeah. It, it really, uh, for me, it's worked its way deep, deep, deep into my psychology. And, and that yeah. is uh, having these conversations is incredibly helpful, but it's also one of the main reasons why I enjoy the support group so much month after month. If something like this comes up, I have a place I can go to have that discussion. Definitely. And that's where, and so in part of this then is helping see, so I use uh, dogmatism or fundamentalism in a uh, psychological sense of a process, a tendency that frankly, we all have to varying degrees. And I'm going to go through, you know, how I define some of that, how that works. But, you know, it's, so each time I go through a point, I'm actually going to show a bit of where the religious side tends to take a look at this. And then on the other, a bit more of how more of the secular or political ideologies can sometimes exhibit much of the mm. same type of uh, indoctrination practices, uh, self-doubt, uh, and so on, that keep you from questioning things, that keep you, um, you know, limited uh, so that you feel like, well, if I leave this, I'm, all my sense of meaning and purpose is going to be lost. Uh, so I need to, I need to stay here. And this is more like my hearing of you saying this is I'm kind of relating it to like the political stuff we went through just recently. Um, but uh, this is actually more than just U.S. centric. This is kind of almost oh, yeah. uh, really inherent and built into religion itself, no matter where it is. In the, I've, uh, and I think that um, Sasha, who's in Australia, could uh, kind of has, has seen similar things happening in his own country, too. Yeah, that, that's the reality. It doesn't matter what the, the controlling body is, whether it's religious, uh, self-help groups, uh, whether it's uh, political, they're all basically govern us under this fear, obligation and guilt banner. And, and that has mm -hmm. such a damaging effect. So I'm really looking forward to um, your discussion on how we can sort of break out of that, how we get through that that bubble and feeling of being trapped by that way. Definitely. And that's, you know, it's... Uh... You know, I know uh, Eric or Sasha, one of you had mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the secular therapist, um, uh, you know, part program, uh, which I'm a part of and absolutely love. 
And, and part of that is, you know, a lot of my client, clients, uh, many of them have come out of uh, and are working through the ripple effect of religious indoctrination. Um, and at the same time, increasingly finding people who are facing um, political indoctrination, you know, the, the, of you know, families and so on and, and people that otherwise used to be friends, cutting them off and judging them in ways that make no sense um, because they have taken on uh, much of the um, structure of what otherwise we would classify as religion, um, but isn't, isn't uh, government sanctioned. Um, but, you know, you've got this whole, you know, process here and it's like, well, wait, you know, why am I feeling a similar sense of what I was like when I was under these, you know, religious things? And all of a sudden I'm seeing some of this happening again. It's like, what's going on? Well, the reason for it is because there's a similar process. There's a similar um, bedrock uh, set of uh, behaviors, of principles, of framings about morality and who you are and how we relate to them uh, that they're all operating. Yeah, David, would it be true that um, many people who come out of a religious environment where they're given the answer to life, the universe, the future, <laughs> everything, um, can sometimes be more vulnerable to perhaps a, a, another group, say a political ideology that also provides the solution, the answer, the, the focus for the future? Um, is that why sometimes as humans we kind of go from one bubble into another bubble because we're still looking for the answers to the big questions in life? Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that there is a, uh, at least my current level of you know, uh, research knowledge about this, but I wouldn't say that there is an inevitability, but I think a lot of it has to do with how one leaves your mm -hmm. background. You know, if, if you're leaving um, for, I was hurt and therefore I'm out of here kind of thing. Not that that's an illegitimate reason, but there's less of an ownership of the process going. You know, it's a knee-jerk response where you haven't truly really wrestled with, wait a minute, this wasn't just something that I belong to. This was a set of defining principles mm -hmm. through which I understood who I am, my place in the universe, and how I relate to one another, which mm -hmm. is a far bigger thing than just you know, going to a building on Sundays or Wednesdays, or for those of us who went three or four times a week, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's more than just, uh, you know, a place that you go. It really is fundamental to how you consider yourself. Um, Your and that just, yeah, exactly. Um, it is a, it is a, an identity paradigm and, and not the, you know, it's an, you know, identity paradigms are inherently wrong, but if we don't wrestle with them, if we don't identify, wait a minute, how is this working? Then, and, and then, of course, see those underlying processes. We're going to get caught up. I mean, there's any number of people out there who we've heard either one, oh yeah, I'm an atheist, and then two years later, you know, they're preaching on TV, or you know, and you go, you know, what's the hottest selling thing is to be able to write a book on once I was an atheist and then I saw God again. It's like, well, you know, where are you? Oh, yeah, how 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 deep was this deconversion process? Um, and not really getting into mind reading, but you know, there is that question that comes up of how much a part of, you know, how deep did you really go into this? Mm. And especially when you 
then ask them, well, why? And it's like, well, I was hiking and I saw a stream split into three and realized the Trinity was, you know, uh, <laughs> correct. Um, real story. If you um, make, from, yeah. <laughs> there's a good point there, David. So separating the, the emotional reasons for leaving or identity from the logical academic reasons for, for questioning our belief structure. Is that a fundamental thing to try and help people take it to the logical aspect? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, you know, sometimes it's logic. Some of it's just a, an appreciation for our brains. You know, our brains are inherently lazy, you know, in the sense that they will always go towards the police resistance. And because, I mean, it was it developed evolutionarily. So if it can provide, if it was set up in a way that I can go this path and use the fewest resources possible but encourage my longevity and ability then to, you know, uh, to continue on, then it's going to go there. The brain doesn't care about truth. It doesn't, it doesn't, not, certainly not in a capital T, you know, it doesn't care about even what's good for you. It cares about what work. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and so understanding some of the processes behind all of this can be helpful in then recognizing, wait a minute, it's not that I'm a failure. It's not that I miss the supposed obviousness of the problems in this ideology that I adhere to. It's, well, it enticed a core part of how my brain works in wanting order, in wanting simplicity, in wanting a readily made structure for guiding my basically resource management. How, how am I going to direct my life? Well, here you go. And the brain's going, yay, I don't have to think about this. Uh, and it's, you know, it's great. Challenging talk, things is hard. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, the, let's, the nature of like fundamentalism. What kind of makes that different than it, really anything else? So uh, actually I shared a, I talked about this a little bit in a particular blog entry that I wrote a while ago. So I shared the link to it in the chat. But so fundamentalism in both a religious sense and uh, a secular political sense has really kind of three three principles uh, that I'm going to go through. Um, there might be more part of it's just time. So here we are. <laughs> um, but is that it's going to elevate in the religious side, it's going to elevate self-doubt above that of community dialogue. So functionally, what that means is, is that it's going to start with the premise that Everything you see is and feel and think is at some level flawed, oh. problematic, or you know, to be doubted in a in a malignant way, not in the skeptical way of just like, oh well, what do I know? What do I not know? What what, what are all the questions that I haven't answered, you know, asked yet? Instead, it's even the questioning itself is also flawed. And by doing so, it discourages dialogue. So, you know, there's that insecurity that comes up out of, well, deity in, in whatever form that it takes, whatever religious path you have, is so fundamentally different than you, that you can't even, I mean, that's why faith comes in, is that it's so fundamentally different who you and what you are, that you will never grasp 
And yet to grasp it is to grasp the most important thing that ever, ever, ever you'll encounter in your entire life. I mean, like we've had 6,000 years on this planet to try and figure it out and we yeah. haven't done it yet, right? It seems like it, this is uh, um, hijacking the cure. It's killing curiosity and mm-hmm. um, having, uh, when, when, you have, when you have to doubt your own feelings and your own uh, thoughts, then the only thing left is seems to be relying on something external, relying on what you're being told and taking it in hook, line, and sinker. Yep. And that, and that they, and of course, and part of that, you know, doubt is to diminish the role. I know somebody had mentioned that, oh, one of the reasons why religion is still so enticing and probably will be for the entire future of humanity until, you know, the heat death or frozen death of the universe, depending on what theory you ascribe to, you know, it's, you know, they, um, is that, is a sense of community. Well, but it's community within a elect group it's community not based on a general humanity it's because that humanity is something you have to constantly question it's that malignant skepticism and so in order so then it cuts you off from the ability to discuss any of these things with anybody else i mean how often uh have did any of us really encounter the well you know they didn't you did a really good job of proselytizing or, or preaching the gospel to them of whatever form that may be, and they didn't grasp it, not because what you said was wrong or incomplete, but because there was something fundamentally flawed or wrong mm. in them. It's the sheep so, and the goats analogy. They were flawed. Yeah. They weren't worthy yes. of the message we were sharing. Yep. Yeah. There is something fundamentally other that they belong to, which is itself also then bizarre because here you are seeing this person who you otherwise are completely bonded with and really wanting to share this the most important message you've ever encountered and they don't get it supposedly and what are you then left with well either one i'm going to question how i presented it or maybe there's a part of what i said that was a problem um or i can just simply go well it was what's going to be easier so that inherent judgment comes in again. I'm right, they're wrong. Um, and what an unhealthy worldview that creates for, for those of us within that echo chamber bubble. Yep, which is then that second part of this process then is a special emphasis on knowledge and ethics. So it's, you know, it's not just how you know something, it's how you then conduct your life. And so, and because then it's so, it piggybacks off of that, just strong difference between you and deity, then even knowledge and ethics, you know, then becomes so functionally different. I mean, how many times, you know, remember, you know, the, um, you know, Abraham story, for instance, you know, in Isaac, and he's about to sacrifice his son. And there's a whole theological debate as to whether or not uh, it was a real request, you know, and, and, and the struggle there, though, is based on the fact that it's a bone deep, recognition that if we were to ever ask a parents to slaughter their child we would be the most heinous act on the planet like how awful can you be and so as a consequence we look at this request and go there is no way that the god that i would want to worship would ever ask somebody to do that in any legitimate way but then you're now struck with well then was god lying to him 
was it deliberately deceptive? Well, now I can't, you know, that doesn't work either. And so you then, you know, get thrown into, well, I guess it's a mystery and I'm just going to have to do what? Fundamentally come back to doubting there's something wrong with me that I don't get what should be clear. And of course you go and encounter anybody else and they're all going, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, either one, you'll encounter somebody who reinforces it or two, you'll encounter somebody who goes, no, that's just bad shit. Um, <laughs> why, why would we ever want to, you know, ask anybody about that, which then just goes, yeah, but you know, if I start this question, then it's a slippery slope. You know, David, that reminds me of, um, um, a lot of the fundamental Christian or religious leaders will often try and combat these doubts that the followers have. And a well-known uh, expression by the leaders of the Mormon church, one of the quorum, or I can't remember who it was, he said, we have to learn to doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. So mm -hmm. when it comes to those biblical narratives that just don't seem to make sense, the problem is you, <laughs> because yeah. you have doubts about it. Doubt your doubts mm -hmm. before you doubt your faith. And if you have these doubts, put them up on the shelf and just forget about them and it'll all be revealed in time. But how unhealthy is that for our for our naturally curious mind? Exactly. Well, and that's and so and this leads right into how it shows up in you know secular political groups because you start essentially it's stating it's party unity or group unity in the mm. face of personal questions. Tribalism. Yeah, exactly. And which is a inherent quality of human psychology. You know, anybody is saying we need to get rid of tribalism. Yeah, good luck. Um, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, the only thing we, it's like getting rid of, you know, proximity bias or any other cognitive heuristic. You're not going to get rid of it. The right. best we can do is increasingly become aware of it, their influences so that we can actively engage from a place of one mutual compassion in seeing then how these things work. So, you know, it's easy to go, well, you're just being tribal and, and then lose sight of the fact, that, yeah, well, so am I and some other quality. And that's just not helpful. We're not seeing the humanity behind it because in many ways, being tribal at its core is enormously helpful. Um, you know, if, if, if we had to sit around and figure out literally every single piece of information we have on our own, we'd be SOL. I mean, yeah. it, it, it would not go well. So we accept authority. We, we accept, you know, group knowledge. We, we, we go through these things to varying degrees because we have to. Um, and it's only when we bump up against, you know, an old, uh, a personally felt overwhelming sense of something is not working anymore that we can go, oh, wait, how long have I been accepting this? I didn't realize. But that takes work. And it, that, that's hard. Uh, and I don't mean to be, it's not flippant. It, it's hard to, to work through that. It takes a lot of resources uh, to challenge. And so it's a little wonder then that not a whole lot of people do it to a large degree. You know, most of us will do it in little things, but to make a life out of it, to change core you know ideological structures Whew. yeah that's a yeah <laughs> i mean for that matter it can be damaging as well so there's that so there seems to be this also uh, this other part of fundamentalism where there's a lot of predictions or prophecies that it makes um there some have passed and never happened but it always seems to be like this moving uh target that keeps getting pushed out further and further is that a part of fundamentalism at all that uh oh, talk huge 
and and that's in and, and that's where you know any time uh, to to wrap up the you know the knowledge question, which goes right into uh, you know this future begging almost um, mm. is future begging <laughs> is like this that. idea of dialogue. There's a place at which knowledge is placed beyond that of dialogue, and and in where that it, you encounter that it's different. Like that line is set different depending on the religious group that they're a part of or political mm-hmm. group they're a part of. But either way, it's set where, well, religiously then, you know, in order to get past this point, you know, the Kierkegaardian leap of faith thing, you know, where you have to have a divine source to really understand this. Or in secular uh, or political groups, it's, well, if you were part of this particular group, you would get it. You know, it, it, it's, it's a, it, it's the, almost the same languaging where it's like, if you only had this, you know, it's um, in a very common way, people often will say it like, well, um, you know, if you have an opinion about parenting practice for something, probably step into it here for a second. But I mean, if you have an opinion on, on parenting practice and then the person comes back and goes, yeah, well, right. I mean, you don't really, if you're not a parent. No, I'm pretty certain. Like, I may there is a level at which I may not know there an experiential level here, but I'm pretty certain I can still come up with some good points. You know, it's like I've never tried crack cocaine, but I'm pretty certain <laughs> it would be fun. It's not all that healthy for. Oh, me. oh okay. <laughs> well, I mean, so it, <laughs> so it's this. It, it's almost this sacralization of personal experience that without really understanding then that personal experience is even more prone to all of the biases and heuristic problems that that we encounter uh and which then of course you know keeps us trapped even further in it there's a level of condescension there too really isn't there it's like well, oh what yeah do you know mm. well and it's condescending not only to the people who are seeking to get you know the answers it's condescending even to the people within the in group mm. i mean they're they're literally telling people look it's okay for you not to have a different opinion it's okay that you didn't question this because really why because of what you went through or because of what identity you belong to i mean this is just this is what you would think right i mean yeah. well, why 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 should we question it you you're you're overwhelmed by the fact that you belong to a certain race or you know sex or you know whatever you know it's the old misogyny of well i mean you're a woman right so you have to be thinking a certain way as if being a you know you know having certain uh you know you know biological parts encourages only one way of thinking you know it's just it's this essentializing of knowledge um, to characteristics that have zero role to play mm-hmm. in uh, how you develop the way that you think about life and your own moral worth and so on. And, you know, religion does it in certain ways and then politics, you know, or, you know, or other groups will do it in others. So where would we go to next um, from this? We've kind of set the basis of uh, the nature of fundamentalism. What would be the next? Uh, where would we go? So, the you know part of that is just kind of going through some resolution and like okay well we're seeing how this works how do we address it what can we do about and um part of 
uh, this is to recognize in, in that you know final point here of, of going, there is something to be said about the present moment. And I mean this more than the, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the new fad of mindfulness and so on. Um, as much as I'm a big fan of it, um, there is a fad element to it. So just kind of, you know, calling that out. But there is a moment in which being able to say that, as I'm increasingly noting, that the, the future is constantly collapsing into the present. So what we, what future we build is not something out here. It's something that we are presently doing with every single thing that we do and what, you know, direction we seek, what level of intent that we are engaging. And so, which then of course goes into, you know, why forgiveness within religious circles is set in an afterlife, you know, because then it's something that you'll never reach so that the life you're living now is a constant struggle of dealing with something that you'll never solve in any absolute sense, you know, or, you know, from a secular perspective, you'll have this almost one drop rule, which has a insanely racist history in that, you know, in, in that uh, idea, but it's, applied in other ideologies it's similar to this like purity test well i'm sorry you didn't you didn't say the right word you didn't say the right phrase or you you have a slightly different opinion about this one topic therefore you're off the group island you're no longer you know a conservative you're no longer a liberal you're no longer this you're we've we've removed you because you didn't toe the line on every single jot and tittle Mm. uh and (laughs) and so there's a um there's a removal there of people from their natural context in, in which the, the struggle is not figuring out how to solve, uh, you know, things a thousand years in the future. It's how do I deal with the limited knowledge that I have available to me right now? You know, how, how can I address the uncertainty I have about my ethic from a place of a humanistic appreciation rather than a uh, dogmatic, shame-filled doubting of just my own self. And to do that is to encourage a community building, not in the sense of in-group, out-group, but to acknowledge that those are our tendencies and then to actively seek out the commonality so that we can build this dialogue, understand an increasing number of perspectives, and so that we keep, you know, weaving this larger and larger canvas to understand the experience of which all of us are uh, only seeing a part of it. And so, but the, but to undermine that is one part of how certain power structures, you know, uh, you know, are, are attempting to do. And the very process itself takes a long time because we're all operating under then a sense of moral injury, which is really this idea that, so my sense of meaning and purpose and ethics was tied to this structure, you know, in an institution, uh, like for instance, military, which is actually where moral injury originally came out of, where it's like, you know, at, at some level, I have a problem with what I'm about to engage in, uh, for instance, killing and in, in, uh, within war. And, but 
I'm going to see, I'm going to deal with it by placing myself under the ethical guidelines or purpose of the nation state or the military uh, structure and so on, uh, command structure. And so it's okay. Until such time as you start then doubting, wait a minute, this might be a problem. You know, this, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong with what I'm being asked to do. Well, if I start ask, doubting that, well, then I start doubting the structure itself, the institution. And so what results is a bone deep uh, harm about how do I then move forward at all? If I can't trust the institutions themselves, what's left to me? What am I able to do? How can I move forward with it? It's why, you know, others have mentioned before about how they still feel judged or feel, you know, traumatized by certain doctrines is because there's still that, you know, there's still that almost perceived flaw that is continuing that we can't get rid of because we put our faith in something that ended up letting us down. Yeah, it seems like that uh, that system would is just ready for someone to take advantage and abuse folks within it, have a trust in organization or an individual. Um, set aside your your critical things and mm. your own doubt, self doubt. It sounds just like a brilliant setup, abuse and taking advantage of. Oh, absolutely, and and that's where you know you get into the um, you know pass of you know somebody's noting you know predators flock to these kind of power structures or you know blaming the victim and and what ends up happening there is that it's you know we all make mistakes. We're all gonna we're we're gonna say the wrong thing in the wrong moment. We're gonna fart in a theater, you know. We're we're you know we're we're. It's just it's gonna be something where you know we feel bad or a sense of shame or doubt about it. And instead of recognizing it as this piece within this long journey of life, instead it's that's a sign of something inherently wrong that you must then carry forward and. No, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I love that point, David, because you know we're talking about the moral injury that comes when somebody recognizes mm-hmm. they're under the control or the banner of a of a dangerous or a toxic sort of mindset or, or system. I heard a, an amazing quote that was absolutely empowering for me and countless other people when it comes to that. Um, it's along the lines of when a person realizes, sorry, when an honest person realizes they were wrong, they will either cease being wrong or cease being honest words mm. to that effect that you yep. i can't remember this it's put a lot more eloquently by by whoever quoted it but yeah so the choice comes in that moment as you said perhaps somebody facing a situation of having to follow orders in, in a military situation perhaps somebody following the direction of their governing organization of their religious body they come to a moment in time where they say i either relinquish my own moral autonomy or I just go along with what I'm being told to do. You either cease being honest or you cease being wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, you know, I, and I think it may have been part of the the list of books because at core I'm a librarian um, uh, for resources later is that is, um, I believe it's Catherine Schultz's uh, book, Being Wrong, you know, Adventures on the Margin of Error. And, you know, she asked the question of like, ask yourself, you know, what is the feeling of being wrong feel like well it actually feels a little like being right <laughs> you know like you know i'm right that i was wrong and and so and there's that 
there's because we don't like the doubt at one level. So there's that weird thing going on. We're going, you know what? Uh, you know, I did screw up. I I fell short of the mark. I really, you know, there's the the victim the the self victimizing thing of going, you know what? I really am just an awful person. And there's that almost there's that feeling of rightness that that comes in acknowledging so-called the the truth of what's going on and which is insidious <laughs> it's 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 completely you know uh, destructive almost soulfully destructive uh in a poetic way um but because you're taking glee or a sense of empowerment out of your own flagellation and i mean anybody who's been uh um uh you know church camps if anybody's ever had the the experience of your you're there in the final day and you've got, you know, the, 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 you know, the bonfire going on. You know what? People come down to the fire and express your salvation message and what you've learned this week. And you've got this like increasing number of, of declarations in which one person goes, you know, I cheated on a test. And then eventually, you know, you've got, you know what? I saw a dog. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? And, you're, and it's just like you swear at some point, you, like people are just me like, yeah, I murdered twelve people. Oh yeah, well I murdered fifty. And you're going, wait a minute, where, where, what is going on here? And there's just this one-upmanship in uh, feeling bad and portraying yourself in increasingly awful ways. And at one level, we laugh at it, and yet, how often do we engage in it in a very, uh, be it you know, slightly you know, less way, uh, or even there's an entire comedic shtick about laughing at, um, you know, Will Ferrell does it in that kind of physical uh, comedy of, oh my God, he's just being an absolute moron and he's hurting himself if there wasn't, uh, you know, stuntmen in, in charge here. And, you know, there's, and, and we laugh at it because there is a sense in which, we acknowledge the truth of our own uh, frailties and seek joy out of it. And at that level, totally makes sense. But at another level can be, yeah, destructive. I remember uh, a while ago um, when I was religious, uh, we went down to Mexico and built for folks. Of course, there were strings attached because we did some preaching and uh, church service and stuff. But um, for whatever reason, I was encouraged to fast. And so I didn't eat, like all the whole week I was in Mexico, obviously drank, stuff, but I didn't, eat. um, uh, it was like this. Uh, and then when I, 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 we went back, um, home to Los Angeles, it was Easter Sunday, visited church and, um, during, and then of course there was this, uh, it was Christ, uh, being crucified and dying on the cross was, so there was actors carrying this cross on his shoulder staggering down the aisle and a crown of thorns on his head and um i i passed out i completely passed out and uh of course at the time i thought it was oh my god this is a religious type of uh feeling of religious re revelation years later i'm thinking i didn't fucking eat anything all week of course like <laughs> fucking passed out but i was so <laughs> i was so so excited to kind of have that experience uh you know i i put myself through some suffering but um and had this religious experience but it was just biological my body saying fine <laughs> I'll, i'm just gonna give out on you 
I suddenly had this flash of uh, people remember. I think they're still making them, um, but the Snickers commercials where they're like, "Wait, wait, oh. you need to buy the Snickers," and you know, it's like you know, some angry guy turns into I don't know some you know uh, you know soft spoken grandma, and you're like. You know, it's just like, wait, eat a Snickers, and Jesus turns into, you know, this poor schlub of an actor. And you're like, oh, right. Yeah, Jesus turned is. the loaf of breads into Snickers. <laughs> yes. It's like, <laughs> we just simply, at, you know, eating a candy bar, uh, much of our um, uh, the, the traumas <laughs> would go away. Yeah. <laughs> But David, we're um uh we're um running a little behind. What uh where do we need to go uh from here? We I I mm-hmm. see that there's a couple of uh, assumptions that we make about ourselves uh, that tie to or allow us to get into abuse or become abused in the church. Or I think you'd say mm-hmm. better like almost truths <laughs> well, and untruths. Yeah. Yeah. So there's you know there's. Uh, you know, basically three untruths that we often will one encounter, but then two really kind of resonate at times. And, and the untruths being in a single moment could define all of you. So if you lied once, you're a liar for all of you. Oh, for fuck's sake, David, are you kidding me? <laughs> like that has been some of the biggest regret that I've had. It's like, I, I was this back then. And uh, uh-huh. let, let, let's say like uh, uh, I was a smoker and now I'm, I quit after two years and now i'm always yep. going to be a smoker i have to always mm-hmm. mark that fucking box on the medical yep it's utterly flawed. ridiculous and mm. yeah once a sinner you know he's like wait a minute like, what, what's going on here and and we do that of course secularly as well it's like you know you said this bad thing 10 years ago on twitter uh that we can dismiss everything else you've done for the rest of your life this is that moment that will define you because you know whatever and you're like Okay, how, how how does this how does this work again exactly? Uh, I mean, we all yeah. screw up. Where's the process of understanding the context of our humanity, and again, engaging in dialogue uh, through yeah. you know that, a level of understanding? It seems that being able to change our minds with uh, new evidence um, or better arguments is like a really beautiful thing that us humans can do. I mean. If I, I have a feeling that if we couldn't change our minds, if we uh, couldn't, if, if we always just one defining moment was what we were, then us as a species probably wouldn't be around any anymore. We would have killed ourselves off or, uh, or something oh, absolutely. like that. Well, we'd have no teeth. I mean, if we if we never realized that the tooth fairy is not real and we kept getting money for enamel, you know, being left under the pillow. Uh, I mean, what's the, what's the stop us from going, I'm going to keep not, I need to pay my bills. I mean, it's just like, at some level. <laughs> pay your bills with tooth fairy money. I doesn't actually work. I need to so buy I, a stick I, of gum. <laughs> you got far more for your teeth than I ever got. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I see well, the I point there. To a six-year-old, quarters are huge. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of money. So yeah, so that you, so an untruth, a single moment will define who you are. Um, that there's some kind of unchanging part of you, you know, the you know whether it's a spirit or some other immutable characteristic that defines you itself. Of course, the trick there being, wait a minute, uh, these are social constructions. They're literally uh, they're, they have nothing to do with how you think your moral worth or anything of the sort. Um, and then of course, from then you get the final untruth of 
this ideal is something that will never be reached. Certainly not by your own power. You, you, you must take on, you know, the power of either deity or political structure. To, uh, you are always, yeah, you are flawed without the deity to, mm -hmm. to get you through. And uh, we've chatted about this before in our religious background. They used an illustration that we are all the products of a dented cake tin everything that comes out of that dented cake tin will always have that imperfection and, and we are always yep. going to have that flaw except for god's grace to to fix us all so that's an untruth that has really yeah. damaging consequences upon our self-esteem upon our worth upon our ability to move forward H how do we combat that with positive truths how do we change that mindset well it um, uh, it, 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 <laughs> it seems that also just one single mistake ruins you for the whole life like oh i cussed once damn it i'm now always gonna be a cusser and i'm now a failure i'm a horrible i uh, or I, I made this promise to, to lose weight in january and february i haven't lost this thing. it almost seems like sets us up real quick for untruths that that we assume were true mm -hmm. i don't know maybe i'm off <laughs> well and no absolutely and that in the in the the enticing thing about it is that there is a resonance there that goes, well, you know, I did do this and I have found myself doing it again. So doesn't, doesn't that mean that it's part of who I am? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's so easy to slip into that because, again, brains being lazy, uh, we like the idea of a self that never changes. And so my question, is, um, you know, how do we and, and there's even some wisdom to be found in. If you see somebody who has, you know, cheated on their, you know, uh, you know, the last six relationships they've been in, um, then odds are it's probably a fair bet to say that if you were to get involved, they're going to cheat on you too. Now, is that a hundred percent certain? No, but who's, but immediately you're going to go. And if it does happen, you're like, well, yeah, totally knew it. Mm. What it is. And, and so there's that. There's an ease of then being able to look at moment and judge the entirety of a person into their future, yeah. um, because we often do it on day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, relationships and, and connections and how we're going to go doing moving forward. You know, it's funny um, on that note, the religious background I came from in Jehovah's Witnesses, they would say that you are not frozen in time. They would say that God does not freeze you or define you. Now that that sounds great. You know, it's, uh, there's a scripture that says as far off as the sun rises from the sunset, he puts mm -hmm. our sins. But then the mixed messaging is, but you're also, you're imperfect. You, you yeah. have undeserved kindness given to you from God instead of grace so you don't actually even deserve his grace you just mm -hmm. you're getting it as a gift so you are yep. you are a sinner you are inherently mm -hmm. flawed you will inherently go back to your sinful ways oh but when you mm -hmm. sin we'll put that sin far off as the sun rises from the sunset so the mixed messaging yep. that it would give people the end result was still the same there was a, an injury done that untruth caused self-worth to be um lessened and and our ability to think well of ourselves harmed mm -hmm. Well, and of course, that whole thing of, you know, as far as the, you know, the sunsets and, and so on is going, well, wait a minute, if God's infinite, then he's still wherever that is anyway. So it's perfect recall at any moment. So all He'll you're doing you is really kind of gaslighting me and mm. telling me that this is no longer an issue, but you can recall it at any moment. So wait a minute, this isn't actually as good of a a gig mm. as I was told. I've um, forgiven you, but I can recall it at any moment when you slip up again. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. Well, and then, which of course then gets a little debate of once saved, always saved or not. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, it's amazing that more believers don't have ulcers. Um, mm. So in order to, so in order to combat or, or address some of these, then getting into then the three truths of how we um, recalibrate. And one of them is, you know, complexity is the not simplicity. Yeah. If it, and, and this part of this goes into that kind of a benign skepticism rather than a malignant kind, where it's a recognition that, you know what, every perspective I take is going to be a variation in uh, truth scale and always limited. And so I can always keep looking through other lenses to keep expanding this vision, even knowing that I'll never grasp all of it. But man, if I can just move that scale like 1%, then the whole world opens up. I mean, it, it's it's an appreciation for things are just simply bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and then there's than nuance. Any one vision. Yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah. And if, it, if things weren't bigger than any of our visions, then shoot, Life we'd never learn boring. anything. We'd, we'd never grow. And that just sucks. don't sign me up for that work i mean talk about which which goes into the whole like you know heaven thing where it's like everything is revealed this comes up so often how we are uh, i remember when i was in religion i I can't talk for everybody else but when i was in really wanted the world to be black and white right and wrong good and evil and um and so I would always prefer the simple answer over the more nuanced or complex answer. Um, it also made tribalism that much more attractive where oh, these people are bad. This whole group is bad. Blanket, bad people. Um, and uh, so, but it's just not reality. And uh, coming to learn that <laughs> more and more, the farther and farther away you get. From- yep. Well, and, and, that, and that gets us into, you know, the difference between finding and looking for causes and responsibility and which is really that second truth of of as opposed to the um you know once you've done something wrong you know this defines you for the rest of your life it's what i've taken to calling radical responsibility where literally everything that is in your life is there for you to deal with not in the sense that you made it not in the sense that there might still be you know, even structural problems, there might be things, but it's the hand that you're dealt. There, It's not fatalism. It's an appreciation for when combined with that complexity piece. It's, this is what I have. Maybe I should take some time to appreciate what, frankly, luck has given me. Uh, and instead of going, you know, um, owning up to, for instance, you know what, you know, uh, I'm just, you know, disintelligent or I was good at this you know, skill or whatever. It's like, did you really, like, yeah, you worked at it, but you also had, you know, genetics that you didn't choose, a family that you didn't choose, a social economic status that you didn't choose, a culture that you didn't choose. Right. And, and, it, and the error is found in both sides of both one, thinking that that's somehow wherever you found yourself is inherently important. And at the other end, equally problematic is to find it to be um, a source of condemnation. You know, if you didn't choose it, then you can't really take pride in it and you can't really condemn yourself over it either. Just 
acknowledge what is, and then seek to do with it whatever it is that you can moving forward, recognizing that this is what you have to work with. You know, it's an analogy we used recently was, you know, in, you know, in cooking, it's like every one of us is a meal that we're making. And so <laughs> what? You know, I've never heard yeah, that analogy. Like there. Okay. And so, you know what? I mean, and so when I get sunburned, I eat some of those skin flakes. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> there is that whole dust thing. That's like 80%. Oh, skin yeah. Um, but there, you know, what ingredients are you wanting to put into and how carefully are you taking care of them, you know, in, in continuing to make something that you want to keep relishing and, and, and see what can, you know, develop out of it. Um, yeah, just don't run that's into a, that for too hard. <laughs> no, that's a, that's actually a really powerful metaphor, David, because, um, basically you're giving the control back to yourself. So we've come from religious bubbles and environments that said that we are what we are and we have no real say over it and the divine controls us. But here you're saying we actually have the ability to create mm. uh, our own recipe of life, if you like, our own a successful um, uh, recipe. So we can control what goes into our life. We can control the outcome of it. Self-empowerment is what I'm hearing out of that. That is so different from the bubble we would have come from. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a self-empowerment that is still very much tied to the natural world in which we find ourselves. It's not the secret self-empowerment. You know, it's a, this, it's, there is so much more to the potential that I'm capable of than any moment allows me to see. So let me keep looking. Let me keep engaging with life because the, it's only in death that things cease being able to change. And as long as you're alive, as long as you're still, you know, kicking that rock of uncertainty and self-doubt that is an intrinsic part of us, that we can continue to say, oh, that that's something I didn't know I was capable of, mm. but it was there all along. Yeah. And all I had to do was just keep putting new pieces together to form something new. I really love your cooking analogy. You you said it really quickly, but I think it was also impactful. Like you get to the quality and the type of ingredients. So what's kind of nice is Sasha, next time I see you, I'm going to say, what's cooking? Good looking. And uh, <laughs> you'll totally get it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I appreciate those comments, David, yeah. because you've really, you've walked us through some really valuable points and, and the end result is is really just genuinely giving us that real self-worth and that self-empowerment and that ability to take control over our lives. That's really great. Thank you. So where do we go from here? We've kind of identified some untruths about uh, our, our religious background and identified a few truths um, that we go from move forward. So part of that is that, you know, radical responsibility. Piece. It's really taking cool responsibility? stock of radical, radical responsibility. responsibility. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and taking stock of what's in your life to then be able to say, what can I do with it? So rather than getting caught up in, right. this is what happened to me, it's, this is what I have, what can I do with it? And it's an empowerment through broadening awareness rather than empowerment through this idea that, um, you know, if, uh, you know, I need to change or and take control of 
you know, everything around me is frankly impossible. Um, so, you know, rather than, you know, that immovable object, instead we go, well, what can I work? Yeah. And while as well constantly asking, what else am I not seeing at the moment? Because again, every perspective is inherently limited and that includes our own at every given moment. And, and so part of that process then is building on a shared humanity. It's deliberately engaging with alternative opinions, not, not for the purpose of dismantling them necessarily, not for the purpose of saying, that's not who I am, thank you, uh, or that's just inherently silly. Instead, it's, huh. So if I could articulate that opinion, even if I still disagree with it, if I could articulate it in the best way possible, can I do so in a way that I almost feel like that's actually, that makes a lot of sense. I, I can see some truth there. I can see what they were trying to address in this philosophy. And while I don't agree with where they went and where they ended up, I can appreciate what they were trying to solve because I too am trying to address those same needs. And that's the same thing with, you know, anytime we're encountering, I had a recent, you know, uh, conversation about, um, for instance, um, you know, an understanding idea, ideas that you otherwise disagree with, and then using the best examples. You know, it's like, if I want to have a debate about Christianity, I'm not going to go and keep screaming about Westboro Baptist Church. I mean, that's low-hanging fruit right. that is just unhelpful. Because, I mean, in certain company, we might be able to go, yeah, these are just awful people. Um, and, but frankly, a lot of believers believe the same thing. They don't agree with them either. So you're not really getting to the heart of the best version of the idea that you still may disagree with, um, you know, uh, any more than um, uh, <laughs> I think it was, you know, the, I don't know if most, many people here might be old enough to remember Kirk Cameron's uh, banana video <laughs> in describing the Trinity uh, yeah. of, of God. An absolutely absurd video, but I'm not going to, Oh, well, laugh still at it. Um, but I'm not going to go to it and use it's great comfort. it as a way to disagree. Yeah, I'm not going to, this is what you think. Yeah. You know, so it's truly wrestling with, uh, you know, the, the best of the alternatives so that you, it's that iron sharpening iron idea. You know, I think you know, the Dawkins or somebody else, instead of straw manning, it's steel manning where you you understand and can articulate the your the, your opposition so well that they go wow you agree with me and you go no not really um, <laughs> but, you know thanks for <laughs> you know th thanks for letting me know that i truly nailed uh the best way possible what what you stand for it feels like uh, you're what you're describing would lead to compassion uh, mm -hmm. uh with with having some understanding um, and then also a little bit of charity work off of yep. understanding the argument, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yep. Well, yeah. and that undermines the, the, some of those processes we talked about earlier about how fundamentalism works, because fundamentalism states that there is a point at which dialogue is impossible because you just have to take that leap. And what a thorough exploration of alternative opinions and different ways of looking at things will do is push back on that and go, no, it's actually dialogue in total, dialogue to the most uncomfortable degree that allows us to keep exploring 
you know, this, you know, experience that we're having. And so, no, there is no point at which we have to stop. In fact, we have to keep going, even when uh, we're uncertain, even when we feel uncomfortable, even when uh, it's an idea that I otherwise, you know, I might vehemently disagree with, because in to do so is to acknowledge, oh, now I'll, now I have a better understanding of what I want to do with myself. You know, it's, you know, encountering truly bad ideas in the best way articulated can be an incredibly freeing moment because then you can really start taking a look at it and go, wow, I actually had a little bit here in my own thinking that almost got me there. And now I can see it and collapse that future into a present that is increasingly better instead of stagnant. Got it. Well, it's been very helpful. Yeah, it, you've really, you've really tried to to help us to be able to just bounce forward. You know, I love this idea of moving forward, moving forward from one way of thinking, moving forward with our own self esteem, our our focus on on the future, getting out of those bubbles. There's been some really helpful stuff there, David. Thank you. Yeah. yeah um, before we uh, move on to the Q and A, is there anything else that uh, you need to say that we you want to want to cover? I think. Just one, you know, a final point concerning compassion, because it's been brought up, you know, a few times. And compassion, at least for me, is I think the closest we can get to a humanistic version of grace. You know, it, it's it's that mm. recognition that we all are flawed, not in some kind of intrinsic, like, eh, there's just something fundamentally wrong with you, but in the sense that we all see things in degrees of accuracy and that's okay that's perfectly fine and and so compassion allows us to celebrate that shared humanity and going wow i, I just I, I didn't do that great and <laughs> let's laugh about it and work together to you know raise the bar you know i had a therapist of my own actually once who put it as we're in this kind of upward spiral where it, 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 we will, we might go over old again, but it'll be at a new level. And the more we work at it, the higher we're going to get, and the more removed we will become from the original problem. And yeah, we might still go, yeah, that's still hanging around, but man, I'm agreeing with this. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this a whole lot better than I did before. And that is really that's success. That's awesome. Like that, that's that's really what we want. We're, we we can't solve anything, but man, if I can if I can move that meter again just a little bit, and the sky opens up. Yeah. Now this is um, more. It sounds to be more about how we uh, view our own thinking in some sense, and how we kind of grow um, ourselves. Um, but there's also these very extreme uh, situations that may occur where having been abused, like we don't necessarily need to uh, give the the abuser the, the the green light, like, hey, it's okay that you did this to me. How do we kind of reconcile between wanting to grow and uh, move on? but also not necessarily letting the, the people get away with, with the shit that. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I'm noting that. And I really uh, it, unequivocally <laughs> very much state, this is not about giving passes mm -hmm. to awful behavior. This is not at all about going, well, you know, they were trying no behavior. 
behavior is still awful. Um, being treated badly is still being treated badly. Um, that we're not calling for a kind of martyrdom to our humanity kind of thing. Um, there is still right and wrong and, and so on. Um, what, what we're looking at here is to you know, see even those people who have abused us as themselves being human as well. And yes, we may not want anything more to do with them for good reason, for good, you know, self-care reasons, because again, it's difficult to change. And so we don't want to keep putting ourselves in the path of a train, thinking right. that it's going to stop on a dime. Right. But in order to understand um, better, to distance our own self, you know, much of what happens in abuse is that we start taking on the qualities, the, the, the kind of um, the story that the abuser, whether or not it's a person or an institution, oh, okay. has about us. And so by understanding it better, we then start being able to go, that's not a story that I need to hold. You know, it comes back to the previous one of the polling questions. Who's still feeling like they're being judged by an ethical system they no longer hold? Well, why is that? Because it was seeking to address a problem, you know, a, a, that we also are seeking to address. It just was done in an awful way. But if we can, we can acknowledge that it was at least an attempt, that we can go, oh, that's why it still is around me. That's why it's still here in my head. Because, right, this person wasn't, um, you know, some kind of devil, uh, even though they certainly did a whole lot of awful things. It's they, too, were also, yeah, uh, engaged in this process, and they just really went about it in an awful way for any number of reasons. And yeah. here we are. Well, David, thank you so much for spending this with us this evening. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on to the Q&A section. Um, folks, if you have any questions for David, you can type them into the chat, uh, bo both here in Zoom or at the ACD. Um, that's getting... um, I'll also put a link in the chat to the resources list that uh, David's provided. It's a whole lot of books by some, some very, very good people. Um, I'll put that in the chat as well, if anyone would like to check out that catalog of me. One of the first questions that we had is, um, where do you think purity testing came from? The tribalist type of thing? Do you have any kind of reading about? So, so I'd come back to Schultz's um, being wrong. Um, it would look at, uh, what's the, I forget the guy, the, the author, but community, um, or it's an exploration of how groups uh, form. Um, and frankly, Hannah Arendt, in her Origins of Totalitarianism. Uh, if you want to go old school, um, there are some deep truths there. Uh, and, you know, it's in, in the idea of purity testing is really about keeping the group whole. And, and for good reason. I mean, if, if you're initially, you know, because if you're standing for something, you don't want it watered down. You don't want it undermined by people who are antithetical to it. And so there is a point at which if uh, you, you really need to say the things that and state your belief in the things that this group does in order for us to have this kind of cohesive movement going forward to address the issues that we're wanting to address. And if you have a fundamental disagreement, well, then find another group, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. 
Um, okay. At the same time, where it goes, where it goes awry is where the um, the lack of questioning is. You know, it becomes essentially your own echo chamber, and you can you can here's the you can be right. Of course, right being always in a matter of degree, and still be in an echo chamber that will eventually you know encourage a uh, continued drilling down to a finer and finer point. Um, because any disagreement increasingly becomes problematic rather than just the major ones. If that's the if if the principle is you have to be utterly for me, then eventually this is going to be further and further isolating. Got it. Um, any other questions? Uh, no, no. If anyone has anything else, feel free to drop it in the chat. Last opportunity. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, yep. Um, let's see so here. I did see a question. I won't say the name. I'm learning. Um, <laughs> Thank that, you. Uh, <laughs> Making my job easier. <laughs> that had to do with giving an example of a problem abuser was trying to solve uh, that we have the same problem. Um, and so one, uh, in, in part of it is, say, for instance, a feeling of power, control, the feeling of saying that what I do matters. Fundamentally, that's what all of us are interested in in order to see that what I do has an effect at its base level. Like that's, that's what we're, that's what we're interested in. What the person who is engaging in abuse has done has, is taken that tendency, that proclivity, that way of, uh, you know, interacting and tied it to behavior that is utterly destructive. And ultimately, and here's the irony, awful as it is, is that ultimately it ends up undermining uh, the very thing that they were seeking to deal with. Because mm -hmm. the more you abuse, the more isolated you become, which means that you have less and less of an effect. And so it ends up being completely self-destructive and, and it, and it made, made even worse by the fact of what you've done to others. And so, but it, at the core, they're still wanting to say, hey, what I did mattered. It was just highly malignant. Um, and yeah, getting away from it is definitely a good thing. So I hope that helps that address mm. that. And that kind of um, goes into our next question. Um, is uh, forgiveness uh, for an abuse or towards an abuser, do you feel that's a key step in the acknowledgement of having been? So part of this depends a little bit on how you define forgiveness. Um, so forgiveness in the way that I look at it, that it's a, it's, it's more, it's about you, right. not the other person. You know, this, okay. this addresses a little bit of, we're not making excuses for awful behavior. We're not giving people passes. Mm. Forgiveness has to do with um, a felt sense of going, you know what, for the for a period of time, there there was there was a resonance with how you treated me or how this idea portrayed me and that I fell into. And the forgiveness is about I don't I don't want that anymore. That is, that is not the mantle, the label, the story that defines who I am. And so it's a recognition that I am more than what you as an individual or an institution or an ideology told me I was. So, so forgiveness is as much a declaration of one's humanity in an ever enlarging way than it ever is about what you did was okay or, or, or because it never was. 
um, or that um, I've somehow, you know, moved on from it and you'll never, it'll never affect me ever again. Because it's just not, there will always be some semblance, some shred. You know, it's one of those things where people will struggle with this and they'll, they'll move past it in, in a one way. And then years, maybe months, years down the road, all of a sudden, you know, something comes up and they're like, I haven't done this in so long. Well, it's not that you failed. It's not that you didn't make any progress. It's just that our brains don't get rid of things. So once something is, once a connection has been made, it never fully goes away. It may get buried over better and better connections as time goes on. And so it may take a lot for it to rise up again, but it's still there. And so when it comes up, it's not, it's not a problem with you. It's just the recognition of, Hey, okay. So again, this is not, this is not me. That's not, that's not the story that I'm living. I guess it's a way of reframing the power dynamic, um, the whole uh, change the situation from victim to survivor, um, reframing the situation that happened and whether it's a trigger to us anymore or whether we are in control of that moving forward. Yeah, yeah we, we, we can control what life gives us in a certain sense of that. We can address um, to, a, to a certain degree what we're going to do with it. You know, any more than we can't control the thoughts that just pop up coming. They're, they're literally just mm. there. But we can then work deciding how much weight we want to give to them. There was another very good question that was posed as well. Um, and of course, we're talking about the abusive relationships that religion has over. How can we safeguard against those who might try and draw us back into dogma or religion? Well, one is, is frankly a humility in noting that that, I don't wanna say desire, but that tendency is still alive and well because we're human. Mm. So at any time that we ever go, I will never fall victim to that again. It's probably the time that you probably should go and wait, uh, <laughs> where is it already present that I'm not seeing? Um, and so, you know, it's an acknowledgement of that tendency so that we are, you know, it's the forewarned is forearmed kind of thing we're we're aware of our proclivity and therefore go okay so when was the last time for instance that i took a serious uh you know look into the things that i assume are true when was the last time that i engaged in a contrary with a contrary opinion or a challenging book or article or podcast or tv show for that matter you know it's like I mean, when was the last time I was challenged? Yeah, that's something that um, I remember I felt when I first lost my faith and came out of it, I felt so scared and vulnerable, totally vulnerable, because I no longer believed, but I really didn't know why. And I didn't know what the arguments for an alternative, the, why there's there would be an alternative. And so it took a lot of just reading and researching and kind of understanding the arguments on both sides like oh this is pretty flimsy but oh pretty good pretty convincing having that knowledge really kind of helped me be able to hear what people were saying and, and see what people no that that's right. a very good oh, point yeah yeah so there was another very good question too that was posed um how can we help someone who's in an abusive situation whether it's 
familial or, or religious, when they're in that abusive situation and they don't see it, how do we help a person like or is it even our place to help them? Hmm. Yeah, there's two different questions there. <laughs> yeah, let's stick to the so, first one. Sorry. How do we yeah, help them? Because the they're in a, a vulnerable situation. Yeah. Um, so so I'm reminded of, you know, in any of us who, who went through a deconversion process, um, and 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 or it doesn't even have to be that big, you know, anybody who's in, found out or come to a, a realization that something that they believed is just wait, this isn't exactly in whole or in part true. Okay. And if you pause for a moment and go, what was the what was the final nail in that recognition? And we can look back at the sometimes most eloquent of uh, of arguments that were presented to us. And we went, nah, not that's not true. And then later on, we encounter something utterly ridiculous. And I go, wow, no, that totally just nailed me. Uh, that, that, I get it. Um, you know, for those of us when, our, when we were in religion and, you know, trying to save people, and we'd just be on fire with the best, I, you know, uh, best, uh, uh, you know, presentation possible. And the person looked at us and go, no. Nah. And then later on, we went, so back to that river splitting the three and they're like oh, you're right it's absolutely true and you're like wait what, what just happened here and that all of that to say is that uh, is that the quality of the argument is great but it has far more to do quite often with your own journey than it is have to do with the other person and so when dealing with somebody wanting to help somebody in an abusive you know situation of that kind of structural way it's to basically just be with them getting into arguments is is to put the power of the word ab- be above that of the power of our shared humanity and at the at, at just the basic level it's just to go you know what you're trying to make sense of your world and i really don't agree with how you're going about doing it man i can see the the terrible things that it's doing to you but you're trying you're, you're in a limited way and i remember that 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 were when i was in that spot and there was no way i would have listened to anybody either but man it would have been really nice for somebody just to go wow i care um you know that's more than a bumper sticker it really is just a you know an appreciation for man we're just in this together and we may not even be on the same ship and maybe your oars got left behind back there um but i'm ready to give you mine uh, as soon as you're, you know, willing to step up and, and say, hey, what about this? Um, but yeah. David, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate your time here. Um, uh, uh, love the topic. And um, I hope that uh, you come back and st- share some more of your with us. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help 
subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.